0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Off Camera. I'm your host, Sam Jones, and in this episode, I sit down with actress Aubrey Plaza. Everybody has their own definition of what makes a good talk show guest, and that's where Aubrey and I came to some disagreement in our conversation. She thinks she's the worst, but I think you'll side with me in finding her one of our most interesting guests to date. In virtually one week, Plaza went from struggling improv artist slash ex-waitress to landing a role in Judd Apatow's Funny People and a seven season run on Parks and Recreation. It was the proverbial blessing and curse. She became known and sought after for dry, deadpan characters, but still fights for opportunities to show how much more she can be. But anyone paying attention to her work in films like Safety Not Guaranteed and The To Do List will notice the layers she brings to her roles and the unique characters she creates. Aubrey and I talked about the reality versus perception of who she is and the meta aspects of voicing Grumpy Cat. She also tells the story of how she got, and then handled, the role of Robert De Niro's love interest in Dirty Grandpa. He's probably still recovering. So pull up a chair and listen in. Aubrey Plaza. Hello. How you doing? Great. Does anyone ever call you the Plaza-nator? No. Audrey Playa?
1: No
0: applause meter no. no well those are three really good nicknames on the house if you ever want to use them just feel free thank you Sam um, but people must have like gotten your name wrong as a kid right like call you Audrey and you'd have to tell them it's Aubrey oh
1: yeah people still uh, call me Audrey
0: like professional people that yeah. interview you really oh yeah and what do you do do you let them go or do I you
1: don't, you... Care, really. <laughs> you don't care really no I don't expect anyone to know anything
0: right well that's usually a pretty good bet <laughs> <laughs> in this life
1: I don't Just have, feel, have like, an entitlement about, like, you should know my name.
0: Yeah, well. And,
1: you know, Aubrey is not a common... It's a guy's name. It is? Yeah. My mom names me after a bread song.
0: You know, I looked that song up. Oh, really? Yeah. I have the lyrics right here.
1: Are you going to play it now?
0: I'm not going to play it. I should get a guitar out and play but it. That would be impressive. And then... Yeah, actually. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's right going to Okay, good. <laughs> but it's... Aubrey was her name... A not-so-very-ordinary-girl-or-name. But who's to blame for a love that wouldn't bloom? And it's a pretty sad song, is I it's guess the point.
1: Tragic, uh, it's a tragic song. Yeah. It's kind of depressing, yeah. It, like, makes me cry. I, think, I don't even really know what it's about. It's like, I think it's about someone that's in love with someone that they don't know at all. Or they met, for, like, once. Once. They that's... met once, and then she disappeared, and... Yeah. They can't find her again. I don't this was probably before the age of cell phones and the internet. Right. So it was they harder to Google find Aubrey people. and then
0: yeah. So I in in doing this and having you on, I was very excited because um, I came to know of you sort of late. I first saw you in Safety Not Guaranteed and then I, because I wasn't watching Parks and Rec at the time and I've since gone back and seen almost every episode. But doing research for this show, I got to see not only uh, most if not all your films, but um, a lot of talk show appearances. Oh God. Yeah, and-
1: My finest work. (laughs) Well you say,
0: you say that you're the worst talk show guest ever. Uh,
1: Yeah. Have, Do you, watched you believe them
0: that? All? Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I watch them and I go, okay, is that performance art? Or is it, um, did it start with nerves and turn into performance art?
1: I don't even know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, like, uh, it's not my, fa- it's, um, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I have I have no plan. I never have a plan when I go on those shows. Like, I always tell myself right. before I go on, like, just have fun with it you know just be yourself just take a chill pill and then i just totally spaz out (laughs) (laughs) those kind of situations go against like every instinct in my body to like retell a story and act like it's the first time i've told it but like make it seem spontaneous like there's just something about it that like my it's like a weird like thing where my body's like cannot do that then i just like End up, I don't know. I just have to like find a way to have a real moment. Right. So sometimes that backfires for myself and it just makes me seem insane. But like at least it's whatever is happening is real. But I do like dream about the day that I can be like Tom Hanks and just be like super chill and just be like everybody loves me. I got nothing to freak out about.
0: Right. It does often look rehearsed or it does look like there was some sort of conference before where Well, it
1: is, there is. Yeah, there's well, like a the pre-interview. pre-interview I know, that's that's why it always is weird for me because I have those pre-interviews. So I know what we're going to talk about and it's so hard for me to like do to like just do that. I end up like just derailing it. It's like a self sabotage kind of But in
0: an honest way. I respect I that know. because it's like you what you're saying is I'm gonna be honest and that's just who I am and I I can't retell a story I told you know, it's funny because when you were set to come on here there was some discussion because we do a photo shoot along with this. No. And there well we do. Well
1: I'm not doing that.
0: Well you signed a thing.
1: I didn't <laughs> I don't even know how to
0: Right. We'll shoot you, like, running to your car.
1: I'll shoot you running to your car.
0: (laughs) Well, so, anyway. (laughs) uh, No, but uh, originally it was like, I think from your camp, can we do the photo shoot first? And I always say, let's do the photo shoot after, because what happens to me is during a photo shoot, I start talking, right? And then you sit down, and it's like, well, maybe you had a good conversation already.
1: Remember that thing you said when you were... Rolling around on the floor, right? Talking in a about cat your suit.
0: yeah. <laughs> and I think we should say to people who don't know that there's no pre-interview here. Yeah, there's, there isn't. No,
1: I had no idea what was going to happen.
0: You don't even know where you were.
1: I don't know where I am. <laughs> it's true, most um, of the time.
0: So, uh, so, have you noticed in those situations? Like, can you tell when you're making someone else uncomfortable? No. You can't.
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, if I. I could. I don't think I would. I mean, I I don't ever want to make anyone feel uncomfortable.
0: But it seems like you're—it seems like ever. you are comfortable with discomfort. Like, it seems like you can ride that out in those moments, and you can allow silence. And
1: I think I just maybe am going at a different pace than other some people sometimes or something, because, like, there's something about—like, I— I in turn I am in my head a lot, and I I think about things a lot, and so sometimes like I think people think that I have a plan when I'm being when I'm silent or when I'm taking my time, but really I'm just spazzing out in my in my head.
0: <laughs> well, but I think though that there, it shows a willingness, like it shows a willingness to be in a moment, in a way like like the idea of not wanting to plan out what you're going to do like people say that you know public speaking is one of the greatest fears on everybody's list and, and to be able to go out without even a plan on national television and just go I'm going to wing it like that there has to be some confidence at the root of that
1: I feel terrified every time I do, you do? It. oh my god I like want to die every time I do it really yes
0: and is it the live audience? It's like that thing, everything's live. I just live don't like and- being
1: my... I just, I'm more comfortable, you know, working and
0: right. being... Right, right.
1: You know, even doing stand-up is different because even though I only did it for a little bit, but, like, I was not being myself, you know? I was, like, being a persona, kind of like a heightened version of myself. And I just always have this, like, existential crisis whenever I go on those shows because, like, it's so weird to just try to just be yourself when you like have no idea how to do that or it's like i just in my mind i'm like no none of these people like care about what i did over the summer like i just i can't get over the idea of it but i like doing it it's fun i try to have fun with it because it's funny and i always think about the younger version of myself and think like well like my 12 year old like self would think this is like Hilarious that right. I'm like being allowed to go on like television. Yeah. <laughs> so I just try to remember that, and then try I try to honor her. Yeah, I just try to have fun with it and not take it too seriously because I just the, the minute that I like really get wrapped up in that and think like oh I, like this is like what I need to say or this is whatever like it's over.
0: Well, I think I think that what you're talking about is that like you haven't you haven't taken the Kool Aid of oh now that I am a famous person or I'm on these shows. I I have to act a certain way that people all do. Like like you say, like Tom Hanks can sit down and just own that yeah. persona thing. But in a way, yeah. I think it's much more fascinating to see a real person in that situation.
1: Yeah, but it, I still have a. I still feel like the ultimate thing would be to be able to feel super comfortable. Like you do in, in that way. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I think I, I guess
0: I I enjoy the fact that you're not doing it like everybody else. Yeah. So how old were you when you found improv classes?
1: I think my very first improv class ever was when I was, like, 15 or 16 in Philadelphia at this place called Comedy Sports.
0: Were you comfortable with the idea of it?
1: Of improv? Yeah. No. I mean, improv is terrifying. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I'm still terrified by doing improv. But um, I just liked what came out of it. I liked, like, I loved, like coming up with characters and being able to kind of like use your brain in that way like it's a really it's a really challenging way to use your brain to be like put on the spot and to like try to figure out what's funny about a dynamic like in 5 seconds
0: Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, Helix Sleep and if i sound very chipper right now it's because well i got a really good night's sleep and since i got my helix sleep mattress a while ago now i've been getting really good sleep as a matter of fact my helix sleep mattress totally changed my outlook on sleep and the way i felt and the way my body feels this is not something where i'm reading ad copy this is my own experience with helix sleep you know I've had back issues for a lot of my life. I've skateboarded and surfed and ridden motorcycles since I was a kid and you know there's a price to pay for that with your body and I don't know ever since my 20s I've had injuries but I've also just had a lot of sort of back issues and for a long time I just thought I should be on a firm mattress and I you know should suck it up. I didn't realize until i got involved with helix sleep that i was going through a lot of unnecessary uncomfortable nights in bed over the years so helix sleep is a pretty amazing company they make personalized mattresses right here in america and they ship them straight to your door and they give you a hundred night sleep trial no contact delivery and free returns so right there it's pretty amazing but What I found most intriguing and ultimately most successful about the whole Helix model is that they created this quiz that allows you to find out what kind of sleeper you are and what kind of mattress you should have. I erroneously thought I should be on a really hard mattress, but I took their two-minute quiz and they matched my body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for me, which turned out to be more of a medium firm mattress. You know, I answered a few questions, I get this mattress and I first sat on it and I was like, this doesn't feel like my normal mattress. And then after my first night sleeping and then again in about a week, I was just blown away by the difference about how much better I slept, how much better I felt. I love my Helix mattress, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2020 by GQ, Wired Magazine and Apartment Therapy. So you gotta try this mattress out. If you're in the market for a mattress, if it's time, I urge you all to take the two minute quiz and find a mattress that makes you feel better. Go to helixsleep.com slash off-camera, take their two minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10 year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. And they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. I'm betting you will. Best of all, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash off-camera. That's helixsleep.com slash off-camera for up to $200 off your mattress order. Now back to the show. I guess I'm curious, what kind of high school kid were you? Were you an overachiever? Were you shy? Were you a rebel? Were you, I mean, I guess I wonder when this, When this thing kicked in of like, oh, even though it scares the crap out of me, I'm going to do it.
1: I was not shy. Not shy? No. I was like Tracy Flick from Election, but not like as nerdy or something. I don't know. (laughs) I was like kind of really involved. Like I was really, I was a leader, I guess. You were? Yeah, I was. I went to a really small school, so... It was an all-girls Catholic school, and um, I kind of just took advantage of that a lot. Like, I was president of, like, so many clubs, and I was really into, like, everything.
0: Did you figure out at one point that you were funny through high school?
1: I mean, in in middle school, maybe. That was when that started happening. Because I started, like, making movies. Like, I started making videos a lot, like that was like what I really like to spend my time doing um, with like a couple of my friends and like that's when I think I got really into like comedy and stuff, was like making really weird videos. And
0: seeing how it worked and...
1: Yeah, and being on stage, I think like there was definitely a moment when I, I can't remember how old I was, but I auditioned for Cinderella at the community theater and I like really wanted to be Cinderella, and they cast me as the ugly stepsister, <laughs> which I was, like, so bummed about. And then...
0: Were you Drizella or Anastasia? Or Drizella or Anastasia? Oh God, I can't yeah.
1: believe you remember that.
0: Well, I have kids, so... I
1: can't remember. I think I was the D one, maybe. The Drizella. The Drizella, Drizella. Yeah. but um, I just remember, like, the, the sisters had one song, and it was, like, the funny song in the show. And, like, I was, like... Kind of bummed about it, and then but then when we started doing the show and I did the song and I was like getting all these laughs and stuff. I was like, oh, this is like actually better than being like Cinderella. Like it's more fun, you know. And like
0: interesting. So
1: that I remember that moment really c- clearly.
0: So once you start doing improv and stuff, I'm assuming that you're working like you probably did it what through high school and then into college.
1: Yeah, I went to NYU. For film school because I love making movies like I said and I wanted to study that but um, but I always had a plan to like start 101 as soon as I got to New York. Really? Yeah.
0: And and was the whole goal Saturday Night Live at yeah. that point? It was. Yeah. It's funny you know I, I've talked to a lot of people that have that same thing where it's like that's the ultimate destination. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So tell me around then because I I heard an interview where. You actually interned at Saturday Night Live.
1: Yeah.
0: In the prop department or?
1: The design department. Okay. Yeah. I interned there for a year.
0: And. One season. So is that, is that weird? Is that like having your dream but not having it sort of?
1: Kind of. I mean, it was, I was in school, so I wasn't, I mean, anywhere near like, being able to, like, be on a show like that or anything. But you're, like, inside
0: the walls. Yeah,
1: no, I was, I mean, it was really the best experience ever. Totally, I mean, it was so crazy for me to, like, just be there and, like, actually see how it works. And um, it, yeah, it was, like, totally insane. And I, like, really just took advantage of that, too. Like, I was an intern, but you were only really supposed to intern for, like, half of the season or something, but I just, like, really got in there with those people, and I just made them like me, and I ended up working there for the whole time and, like, getting more responsibilities and, like, really just trying to absorb as much as I could.
0: At one point were you, like... They think I'm really good at the design department and they want to push me this way. But I'm I'm sure there are people in that design department that had aspirations to be art directors or design directors or production designers. Yeah, well, that's
1: why they liked me, because I wasn't interested in design at all. And I was very (laughs) clear about that up top. Like the people in the design department on SNL, there's... Four guys, and three of them have been there since day one, since 1975. You're kidding me. Yeah, they're these um. They're like 90 years old. Yeah, they're fucking crazy. (laughs) They're amazing, brilliant, like guys, but they're really cranky and really hard to work with. And they're not interested in like training anybody to be a designer. Like they're so over that. Right. That um, I got in there because there was this poor kid that I guess was their intern. Um, I think his name was Duncan. I don't even know him, but I just remember his name was Duncan. And they, he worked for them for like a week or something, and they fired him because he was asking too many questions because he wanted to be a designer. And okay. so I got in there, and I, they were like, do you, are you in art school or what are you? And I was like, no, I don't care about design. Like, I'll do whatever you want, but I'm not like trying to do what you're doing. And they're like, you're hired.
0: <laughs> and were you trying to absorb like the entire thing? Like, did you use it as sort of like your spy education of trying yeah, to figure yeah. out? Yeah, Ma- yeah,
1: mainly just reading the the scripts.
0: And was that normal that anyone in any department could could get the scripts?
1: I mean, I stole a lot of them. I would. You just, did. I would take them home a lot. Yeah, I would take the ones I liked home and I would read them. And, really. Yeah.
0: And and was it ever was there ever like you know you make a bond with a cast member and. Say, this, I really want to be where you are. No,
1: I wasn't like that. I never wanted to be that person that was kind of like, right? you know. I think Amy was there, but I didn't... Amy Poehler. Yeah, but I didn't know her. She didn't even know I was there. Amazing. You know, I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't like that. I'm shy, I think, in that way, but I w- was just, like, quietly scheming.
0: What did you take away from there? Like, what was the, the sort of perception that was changed by going to work behind the scenes?
1: The one thing I remember that was always so weird to me was Rob Riggle was on that season. Yeah. And I knew him from UCB and from seeing him do improv and just from that New York comedy scene. And he was really, like, one of the funny. I mean, he was, like, one of the funniest guys around. And, like, he had gotten on. It was his first season. And so I watched him kind of go through that whole process of being, like, a new featured cast member and, like, trying to get your shit on. And, like, so it was – I learned a lot from that because it was so weird to me, like, how, like, some of his, like, sketches, like, wouldn't get on. And, like, I would read them and think they were, like, the funniest. Like, and I always, like, would want to be, like, oh, like, why aren't they picking this sketch? Like, they're not picking his stuff. Like, there was just all the one thing I guess what I'm saying is the one thing I – Took learned and took away from watching how that show operates is like how uh, political it can be and how there's so many things that go into what gets on the show and what doesn't get on the show and like it just seemed very hard like it seems like a hard job to be working on that show to be a cast member and to be every week trying to get your material on and to get people to understand it and I don't know like it just seemed like that to me it was like in my head it's like you get on SNL you're like on and all your shit's on and you get to do whatever you want but really it's like you get on there and then it's just like you're fighting every week to like get your there's so much so many sketches that that don't make it on the air and so it's like it's hard and so I saw that side of it where I was like whoa this is like kind of these people are really like just I mean they're just consumed by the like it's it's really hard. It's not all right. like fun, but it is probably the most fun job in the world. But
0: yeah, something kind of crazy has to happen for the zeitgeist to take over, and then yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. And then there's stories like Sarah Silverman, who just didn't connect with it enough, or didn't, yeah. you know, like she. I think she got fired from Saturday Night Live, which is crazy to me.
1: Yeah, so many. I mean, there's so many amazing people that. It just didn't translate for right, some reason. Right, So So that, that's always like kind of fascinating to me. It's the same thing with improv comedy too because I think that there are so many people that are on improv teams and imp- improv shows that are like the funniest people around. You can't even believe it. They're just genius and they're not famous. They're not on television. They're not in movies because some people just can't make that it can't cross over for some people. I don't know why. Sometimes yeah, I, you can be the funniest person ever on stage and then you're in an audition and you just can't bring it. It's like a
0: weird right skill. I think that a lot of people they somehow can harness who it is they are inside and that and who they are is unique enough that it all like it all works. And I guess in a way I sort of think of you that way. I think of like You know, from what my research, it seems like you had this week or this period of a couple weeks where all of a sudden the funny people audition came along, the Parks and Rec audition was right in there, and you did a showcase for Saturday Night Live, sort of all around the same time. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. So I watched you in a talk at the Paley Center, and Michael Schur, one of the executive producers on Parks and Rec, describes his introduction to you, which is that he call, got a call from the casting director, Alison Jones, mm-hmm. and she said, I've just met the weirdest person in the world, and I'm sending her to you. <laughs> and he describes, like, having the most uncomfortable hour of his life meeting you, and then the minute you left, he wrote a scene for you. Like, that was the story on stage. Yeah. And I, and I, and I look at that, and I go, okay, either she...
1: But I fucked him, also.
0: Well, Okay. And then they didn't say that at the Bailey Center. Well, they cut that part out. <laughs> I hope that's true. I hope that, like, that's your little secret here that everyone <laughs> thinks that's It's everyone's a joke. A little
1: secret, Sam.
0: <laughs> um, that is, by the way, how you got on this show, too. Yeah. We should. And that's. <laughs> oh, dear.
1: And then your kids run in.
0: We have to cut that part out. Okay. Cuz my wife does not know that information.
1: You have a wife? You I, didn't tell me that. Sorry.
0: No, but but he, tell me about that meeting with Michael Schur from your side because I feel like okay, I either you're a genius or you're the luckiest person okay, in the world. Okay, I'm
1: not a genius first of all. And second of all, I don't even remember. The funny thing about that week was that I had no like idea what was happening. Like I had no idea how big of a deal those meetings were because I had never done that before. So, I was I would say it was luck that I was in the place that I was which was nowhere in New York. I was had literally gotten fired from a waitressing job the week before. I didn't have a job and I was struggling not knowing what I was going to do. And then the funny people Thing came through kind of out of nowhere because I had sent in a tape a while ago and then didn't hear anything and then um and then for whatever reason they came back around to me and decided like Judd decided like I want to see her in person see what how she is with Seth in person so they flew me out there to do that and then while I was there Allison Jones who I'd met was just started making phone calls I mean she really like changed everything for me it was just kind of this weird thing I didn't know who Greg Daniels was I knew that they were writers on The Office which I was a huge fan of Right. and my meeting was on the set of The Office so I was psyched to be going to the set of The Office. Like, that's where I was. If you had just gotten
0: to see the set of The Office, that was a good enough day. Yeah,
1: the whole time I was in Mike Schur's office, I was just looking out in the hallway, trying to see who was walking by, because I saw, like, at one point, like, Mindy Kaling walked by, and B.J. Novak, or whatever, and I kept being like, oh, my God, like, just people on The Office. Like, I was so psyched. And I was, like, wearing, like, jean shorts and, like, a dirty, like... I didn't know what was... I didn't realize the... Weight of, like, what... Or could, you would have, have showered. Could have, yeah, or <laughs> what could have ha- come out of that. And also, I think, because I wasn't used to going on meetings like that and stuff, I didn't know, like, the product, like, how they were supposed to go down. So I was kind of over-sharing my opinions about his ideas and what I thought was funny and what I didn't think was funny. And I think maybe... I don't know, because they were just still figuring out what the show was they hadn't written the script at that point like they just liked my idea and I because they had an idea with which they were pitching me about Leslie Nope having an assistant that's like blonde and kind of stupid or something like that I can't remember exactly and then I just kind of off the cuff was like that's I feel like I've seen that before what if it's like someone that's smart but doesn't care doesn't want to be there someone that's getting college credit or something and she's really smart but she just hates everyone so
0: so so do you think you would have said that if they said you're going in you're being considered for this part and depending on this meeting you might be on this show yeah
1: no i don't think so because i didn't know so you accidentally
0: stumbled on like this amazing thing
1: i know in the original pilot script which i have i found it in my garage the other day which was like blowing my mind the character is named aubrey they wrote the character's named aubrey they changed it to april right before we started shooting
0: so when you saw so. that original pilot script and they sent it to you and you see your name in it i mean what does that tell you like what does that tell you about what you should be doing so that's do you just like screw it i'll just be myself and
1: i couldn't believe it i don't know what to say about like I had I was just like at that time things were so crazy for me that I was just like just keeping my head down just trying not to make a loud noise like I was just like at any moment like they're gonna like discover that I'm a complete fraud and I have no business like being on television (laughs) like you know so I was just kind of like "Mm -hmm." Keep just keep doing my thing. Really? Yeah.
0: Do you remember the first day you met Amy Poehler on the set? And were you worried like, she's going to recognize me as the, from the design department and she's going to be like, what's she doing here?
1: I wasn't worried about that because I didn't think that she would remember me. But um, <laughs> I met her before we actually shot the pilot. They had us come in and do these Olympic promos for the Olympics okay. for NBC. And... It was funny because we hadn't shot the show yet, so I didn't really know what was happening. I don't even think I knew the character's name at that point, and they just had me and Amy shoot on this swing set where we're both like on swings, and they just gave us like thirty second kind of little bits to do. And it was like the very first time I met her, and it was crazy. and I just was so intimidated and I mean I was I like terrified I was
0: so surreal. <laughs> yeah, I
1: was terrified.
0: And this is someone that you'd obviously watched and known her work. Yeah, and, I mean,
1: she was, like, my hero. I mean, she, like, operated Citizens Brigade. She started that theater, and that was, like, where I wanted to go since I was, like, f- you know, like, 14. So, yeah, it was totally bizarre.
0: I mean, I think if I was in that situation, I would just turn and confess everything. Like, I would just be like, uh, you know, I, I I stole scripts. I was an intern at Saturday Night Live, and I, I want, I, you know, I've wanted to meet you forever. I, So you're just the opposite. You just kept your head down. Yeah.
1: You got to play it cool, Sam.
0: (laughs) Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. If you think you may be depressed or if you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious... Uh, You're probably not alone. I sure know that I've been in all those places throughout my career, and even in the last eight or nine months, it's not an easy time to feel great about things. And BetterHelp Online Counseling Services offers licensed professional therapists who are trained to listen and help with issues, including anxiety, depression, relationship conflicts, sleeping difficulty, family conflicts, self-esteem, and more. And if you're like me, if you're an entrepreneur, or an artist or somebody who has had to rely on themselves for most everything. In other words, if you've built your own life and you're going through this world trying to figure things out like I have been, there are times when you just need help. You need to sort things out. And I've been a big proponent since my 20s of therapy. When I first went to therapy, you know, it was like a needle in a haystack to try to find somebody that could help me. And if you can imagine me back then going through the phone book and searching for therapists and asking people for recommendations, it was a whole new world and it was a world that I didn't know anything about. And so, you know, it took me a while to find someone that I really felt good about. And and I feel great about this company, BetterHelp, because they've sort of managed to figure all of that out and make it much easier for you to find the right person that can give you the help you need. What they do is you simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then you get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. You can schedule secure phone or video sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited message, communicate with your therapist, and best of all, and of course, everything you share is confidential if you're unhappy with your counselor, if you don't feel like it's a good match, you can just request a new one at any time for no additional charge. I think about if I had had this kind of access when I had started, it would have saved me a lot of time. Funny story, I used to ride my bike to therapy because I was trying to combine two of my self-care activities in one, therapy and physical exercise. And uh, I remember often being late and racing to therapy on my bike and coming in out of breath and well, it's a lot different now, and it's a lot easier. And BetterHelp has really figured out how to do this from the privacy of your own home. It's just a great system. So join the 1 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp counselor. BetterHelp is an affordable option, and the listeners of Off Camera get 10% off their first month with the discount code CAMERA. Go to BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash CAMERA and you can talk to a therapist online and get the help you need. Now back to the show. So where is the Saturday Night Live's showcase in all of this history?
1: I think it was right before, it was right after I had had that week. I'm pretty sure. I came back, there was a showcase at UCB for Seth, Myers, and I think Lauren was there, but I don't know. And all I remember is it was, like, me, Kate McKinnon, who's now on the show, Uh Ellie Kemper, Bobby Moynihan, Donald Glover, I don't remember who else. But it was, like, such a big deal, and it was so scary. And it was kind of, like, the preliminary showcase before they'd say, like, okay, we're going to bring you onto the 8H, the studio, and have you do, like, the standard SNL thing that people have seen on DVD extras and stuff. So I never made it to that level, but before I even, like, would have found out if I had made it to that level, I, we got the phone call, like, on a Friday that was, like, Judd's casting you in Funny People, like, you're in, you're doing this movie, and he wants you to fly to LA in two weeks, and you're going to be in LA for five months, you have to do, like, two months of preparation, and then three months of shooting, and, like, this is all going down, and I remember, like, my first reaction was, like, but what if I get to go what if I get to go to the next level of auditioning for SNL and my agent at the time was like no you're not doing (laughs) you're gonna do the big Judd movie because that's what you're gonna do and I was like but what about the and they were like no you're gonna do the like but I remember feeling like fuck I guess I'll never have an opportunity to do that, but maybe I wouldn't have anyway, you know, things just kind of work out the way they should, I guess.
0: Right. But if I I can understand that, if that was your dream for so long.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so many people's dreams. It's just like, you know, I think it's just such a, when you are a kid and you watch that show, you're like, if I could get paid to be doing that, like, that's like the ultimate
0: thing. I I totally agree. But what's amazing is that the week before that week, were you feeling like my career is going nowhere yeah I mean
1: I've always I felt that I knew I was always so yeah I never knew what was going to happen I was always so terrified that I wouldn't amount to anything always
0: did you have a plan like like if for a year the phone doesn't ring I've got to do something else or or were you just like I'm in this and
1: no I was just really delusional I was just like it's just this is just the only thing I can do
0: so how, do you, how would you deal with the rejection when when you would try to get something and not get it? Or
1: I like being rejected. What? I don't know. Can that really be true? <laughs> no. Sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Being re- I've been rejected so many times. I'm still rejected. I was rejected yesterday. Like, I just...
0: You were rejected, like, for a film part? Yeah,
1: I'm just... You're just always... As an actor, you're just... It just comes along with the territory. And, like, I think if you're someone that can't get over that, then you should just get out. Sure. But, um, but I yeah, I mean, re- rejection always was good for me because it would make me just get real fired up.
0: That's interesting because you do have a laid back personality and I feel like you know uh, that that wouldn't be readily apparent to me that you would be someone that would be like I'm going to show them next time or I'm going to I'm not going to let this stop me because you seem very laid back and very like I'm
1: not at all.
0: That's so funny. <laughs> I'm
1: not. It's just like a physical like it's all happening in here. It's just Really? It takes longer to get out.
0: Yeah, our interior lives are so different and opposite from our exterior lives that that do like do we really know anybody no you know no like someone could say you're sitting here you're the most confident person in the world and you're like you've got the world at your feet and people then in your head think, it's think ping ping-ponging I, around and
1: always people always think that i'm like really confident and laid back
0: <laughs> <laughs> you did say in an interview that you discovered early on that it was better not to worry about what anyone thought of you and that's that, true and is that something that was like, oh, I'm going to need that to be able to go forth in this career that I want?
1: I don't think I was knew that in that way, but yeah, I think that that's helped me so much is at a younger age being okay with hum- humiliating myself.
0: Did you have periods of that in high school <laughs> where like whatever, whatever got you to the point where you can totally handle rejection, those seeds were sown in high school?
1: I think so. I think it probably had a lot to do with the kind of place that i went to high school and going into maybe an all i mean maybe going to an all girls school was helpful too because you don't um, care what you look like you don't you know you're don't you don't right. you're not trying to put on a thing for guys when you're younger you're just kind of like being weird and like doing your thing and you're we were always encouraged to just kind of like be ourselves and be cool with it and be confident and not focus on that kind of stuff. So I think that probably had something to do with it.
0: Okay, so we had Connie Britton on this show, and she...
1: My mom!
0: Your mom, that's right, on <laughs> uh, on the to-do list. And and she said that that movie was all you and, and the risk you took and how brave you were to do that film. And for people who haven't seen the to-do list, it's, it's you know, kind of a R-rated romp through... Uh, kind of a high school kid who was always good and smart and followed all the rules and knew nothing about sex and decided to figure Mm -hmm. it all out, just like she would do anything else, like applying for college. Like Like a homework assignment. Like a homework assignment, but to learn about sex. And, you know, it's funny when you talk about an actor's performance as risky because it's like you're not swimming with alligators or, you know, going cliff diving. But in the case of that film, I feel like... Some of the some of the things that you had to do as an actor, they were risky in the same way that that showing ourselves and our vulnerability is super risky. Like you had to masturbate in that film, you you had to deal with body issues, like have your top fall off and have this whole mm-hmm. focus on your body. And and I imagine there's two levels to that, and I want to ask you about it. One, which is you got to do it on the day in front of the crew, mm-hmm. and two, then you kind of put that. Vulnerability out there to the world, and then that's out there forever, right? I know. Like, what did you learn about yourself from from kind of because Maggie Carey, who directed that, said uh, that you'll kind of go anywhere, like you'll you'll do whatever it takes, and and you don't really have a a line that you won't cross.
1: That's true. I don't. I don't. i I mean, that's like the most f- fun for me in movies is to, is to just do, is to just get kind of totally consumed by it and to not have, to not have any boundaries and just to be like totally in in that world and that character. And that was a good example of that. I didn't feel, I never felt like there was nothing I wouldn't do, like I was just all in.
0: It's funny hearing you say that, and then also thinking of the way you sort of describe yourself. Like, somehow when it's work, it changes for you. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then, what about like when that film comes out and it's out there in the world? Like, do you rethink it then? Almost like.
1: Totally. Yeah. You
0: can't really see it until other people see it.
1: Yeah, it's horrifying. 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 (laughs) I mean, like, I was like sitting like two seats away from my dad at the premiere of that movie and I was like I can't believe that this is happening right now this is the worst thing And that what could was ever his reaction? Happen. Well he loved it. He did. He thought it was <laughs> he thought it was really funny but I was like when I was shooting that movie I never I'm so like just thinking about what's good for the movie you know and my character and I'm never thinking like how is this going to come off like in that way which I think is a good thing and I think like I try to always Feel, I try to always do that when I'm working because I think the, mo- the the moment when you start to feel self-conscious about or embarrassed about acting or something is when it all goes to shit because audiences can feel that. They can feel when an actor's, you know, like aware of being in a movie or something, you know. like So right. for me, it's like to, to be a good actor, you have to really just constantly humiliate yourself and and embarrass yourself and not and not ever think like how is this gonna come off so I mean like the masturbating scene was a great example because we hadn't rehearsed that at all that wasn't we hadn't rehearsed anything so every scene that I was doing was just kind of like showing up and going like all right here we go like I'm gonna pretend and, like, And when you don't
0: is. rehearse and you don't discuss with the director, do you just sort of make a plan and go, well, if they don't say anything, I know what I'm going to do? Or do you discuss it on the day?
1: Um, you know, I'm just going off the script. So I don't know how they're how anyone's going to shoot stuff like that. And I had never really been in a movie. That was, like, the first movie that I ever did where I had, like, sex scenes and, like, any kind of, like, that was such a physical, like, movie for me. Right. Like, I which, I, which is why I really wanted to do it because I... I'd never done anything like that, and I was—I thought that'd be really fun. But, um, but like the the masturbating scene was was funny because in the script, like the way it's written is like, uh, it's like um, Brandy's hand like goes out of frame or something, right. and then it goes on. And so in my mind, I see the way it's shot in my head, and I'm thinking like, okay, so it's going to be like a medium close-up of And me it's all about acting in your face. Or whatever. It's all, all going to be in my face. And then when I got there, the camera was mounted on the ceiling of the bedroom in a wide shot. And, like, there's a pillow on the ground and I'm supposed to be on the floor. And I was like, so how much of the my body is, like, in the shot? And she was like, yeah, the whole thing. And I was like, but I'm in my underwear, so am I just, what am I going to... And she was like, you're going to masturbate. And I was like, Okay, so I'm just gonna masturbate. I think that's an excellent example
0: of having to trust the (laughs) director, right?
1: Okay. All these like (laughs) sound guys are just like standing right there, and I was just (laughs) like, I'm gonna just put my hands in my underwear now and just actually just touch my vagina. Okay.
0: You kind of warn everyone on set this is happening now, so. uh,
1: I just did it. I was just like, this is just happening. I'm just gonna.
0: Is part of your in your head going, should I be? worried about this or should I trust the... Like, did that go through your mind or you're just like, screw it, this is, this yeah, is what's Yeah, I mean, I was
1: definitely like... Oh, yeah, that definitely went through my head. I liked the... I, I liked how kind of like bold Maggie was about stuff like that because um, I'd never seen that really before in a movie and I think the cool thing about the to-do list is like, it's there's so many movies about guys coming of age figuring out you know, how to totally have sex and
0: American pie,
1: all that kind of shit. And you're so, you're so used to seeing like guys masturbate or
0: for, you know,
1: and like, I was like, well, it's weird because you haven't seen it that as much, but it's not weird. It's like girls have the same, they go through the same stuff. You just don't like see them have their first orgasms a lot.
0: Right. On the screen. <laughs> well, uh, <But laughs> and this is an important topic here on Off Camera because yeah. I feel like we have to get that out to people. and, and Orgasms. Orgasms and just yeah. women masturbating. I think it's important that it, there's an yeah, equality should, yeah. across the board.
1: But in my mind, it was like making that funny is a, d- a different right. like, thing, you know, and like... I just thought like what's funny about uh, this character in this moment like trying to masturbate and in my mind I'm thinking like well Brandy would treat it like it's an assignment and oh. like if I'm not doing a good job she's gonna you know get frustrated so like I was yelling my own name I, I frustrated.
0: Know. well and <laughs> wearing a Hillary Clinton shirt really doesn't in hurt the script,
1: I don't think but I was just like really trying to motivate myself and like I just think in my mind I knew that if the funniest version of that is just 110% commitment. If you don't commit to something like that, then it's like, you might as well not
0: go there. And that seems like the yeah. the ultimate lesson of improv, too, right? Like, Yeah. Because we've all tried to land a joke where we're not sure it's going to work, and so we sort of soft sell it, and that makes it worse. Rather than like, yeah. I'm always amazed when someone could come in a room and just own the dumbest thing, and it works because... There's just no thought that it's not going to... It's just ownership.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And I guess it applies to masturbating. And
1: it's commitment. I mean, because the one thing, too, that UCB teaches you is it's their whole mission is about truth in comedy. And if you're being truthful and you're committing to the truth of the scene, then the funny will come out of that rather than trying to go for the joke or trying to make it funny If you can just really commit to the truth of something, then usually that will lend itself to comedy.
0: And what you're describing, it's like the minute you say it, I can see all the times it doesn't work. Like you'll see sketches on Saturday Night Live where you can tell people are trying to be funny rather than like maybe they don't totally believe the premise. Right. Like we've all seen that version.
1: Yeah, people panic, and they're like, fuck. And then they start they do doing like that. They half Yeah. And, yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting what you say about picking these roles to play, because it doesn't seem like you pick them based on likability or based on uh, trying to be appealing to a certain age group or a certain audience. It seems like you pick roles that challenge you or scare you or interest you or that you haven't seen before, right? Which yeah. is maybe not the way an actor or an actress coming up often does things. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you're working in a space where, where some people don't want to go. thinking of, like, Life After Beth or, yeah. or Ned Rifle. These are not the most likable characters. No. And, and yet, like, they're some of the most indelible characters for that. But did you ever have agents or somebody trying to tell you, here's what you should do if you want this or that? Or, or have you just always sort of trusted your gut on the roles you want to play?
1: I mean, most of the time I'm fighting to get anything that I've gotten. I'm, you know, like, auditioning or I'm really, like, I have to be so determined to get any part, really. Like, I'm not at a point where I can just, like, just the roles that I choose, like, when I feel, like, whatever. But um, I know what you're saying, but, like, it's hard to be uh, selective when you don't have a big thing to select from. So there's, like it's a two-hand thing like there's things that I that are offered to me that have been offered to me that I can easily do but those are usually parts that I've done before because when someone sees you do one thing they're just like that's all they can do that's what they're going to do now then well that's do what I'm that. getting at exactly yeah so like for me it's like I'm always I feel like I'm always in a position where The main thing that I like to do is just to do different things and to challenge myself, like you said. So it's like I have to most of the time convince a number of people that I'm capable of doing that and then convincing them to let me do it. And then so there's like a whole process to me ending up in roles that are not traditional or something. But,
0: but rather than just choosing the th- only the thing that people yeah. think they know you for, because you poke fun at that um, in in the Grumpy Cat promotional video trailer thing that you do, mm-hmm. it's like this really meta um, look not only into your experience but into the experience of an actor, where because Grumpy Cat is this cat that was on the internet that has a frown just naturally mm-hmm. anatomically right, so That's it became right. a Grumpy Cat.
1: It's a Grumpy Cat.
0: It's a Grumpy Cat. So someone decided. It's a well, dwarf cat. It's a dwarf cat. That's, That's why also, its face looks like that. Oh, okay, so at it's,
1: birth it was born like that. Because
0: it doesn't know it's grumpy. It, it just thinks no it's idea. being normal.
1: It has no idea what's going on.
0: No. But but so you're the voice of Grumpy Cat, and I am Grumpy Cat. You are Grumpy Cat. We should animate the cat at this point for like the next three minutes of the interview. I could
1: have brought the cat in. I should have brought the cat. Really,
0: the cat lives in your house.
1: No, the cat lives in Arizona, but I can. I'm really close with the cat's agent. I could probably. Well, throw it Well, I maybe. mean, next time.
0: Talk about an opportunity squandered. I mean, we could have had the cat here, and you so could sorry. have just hid behind the wall. I know. Okay, <laughs> so you, you uh, are in this promo thing where you're in a sound booth recording the voice of Grumpy Cat, and there's a guy at at the Neil. mixing board. Neil, remember I
1: told you who, my very good friend that that was older than me, that yes. taught me, that's Neil.
0: Oh, so Neil is the... Okay, so you're Neil kicking Neil some work. That's good.
1: Neil's going to be the villain in Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters. Really? Oh, yeah.
0: So Neil is... Just Neil. wait. He'll, Doesn't be, need any help. he'll
1: be sitting here. Good. Just give it some time. He's a genius.
0: Like a week from now?
1: Well, I don't know what your timeline guests. is, but he's not available right now.
0: But but he Neil's sitting here, and he's going... He's trying to, like, coach you through how, yeah. to, how to be Grumpy Cat... And you keep trying it different ways, and you're trying to find the character. Yeah. And then he says, just do your thing. Uh-huh. And you go, I don't have a thing. And it's such a meta view into, like, typecasting and, like, the thing that people see in you or the people, that ex- the thing that people expect you to do Yeah. versus how you see yourself, which is how we all see ourselves, which is anything is possible, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, was that sort of your way to sort of show the dichotomy of of what I mean it's it's a very funny take on yes. actually a very true thing because when we see an actor we think we think that exact thing oh they have all these choices and they they're choosing their own path and but really you're sort of fighting against typecasting
1: yeah well i think when you're on a television show and it's the first thing that people see you do and then you're on and then the show goes on for 7 years and you're playing this one character it's like i don't blame anybody for think for assuming that I that that is who I am and that's all I can do you know like I don't I'm not like bitter about it it's more I see it as a challenge and I see it as a fun challenge for me to surprise people because um, like moving forward after the show is over like my one that was like my one thing is like I want to do stuff that people would never expect me to do for myself
0: well yeah I mean I, I or else what's the point yeah So you got a chance to act across from Robert De Niro. Yes. In the film Dirty Grandpa. Arguably, you know, one of those actors when you talk about the actor of their generation or of several generations. Mm -hmm. That's him.
1: That's him, baby.
0: So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) what was day one of that like?
1: It was so, it was like ridiculous. Were Were you scared? Yes, Yeah. terrified, terrified. I was so scared. I'm scared to be in any movie with anybody, <laughs> much less like Robert to be opposite De Niro, where I'm just saying like fucked up shit to him the whole time and like making out with him. I mean, it was like so intense for me. Um, I feel like the onus
0: would be on him to to make you feel comfortable in that moment, or to, to try to. Was well, there any of that? Was he no? I no. mean,
1: I don't think he. Is cares about making people comfortable. I think he's there to act and be his character, and yeah, and, and that's it. And so am I. I think we actually worked really kind of well together because we were both just kind of in it. First of all, the only reason I'm in that movie is because I went. An audition for that part, which they wanted me an audition for the other character. Okay. because um, in the script, my character Lenore is written as like a big, breasted, like blonde, like party tan, like party girl.
0: Seems like you keep getting producers to change roles from like blonde. I know. <laughs> Bomb dumb dumb bombshell too. I did. who else too. did I did that? Uh, Parks and Rec.
1: Oh right. Oh yeah. Well yeah. I read the script and I was thinking like, well, the the part that is the funniest to me is the girl that gets to like fuck De Niro. Like, that's funny to me. He's like 73. Yeah. And when would I ever have an opportunity to play his love interest in a right. movie? Like, So for me, I was like, I'm the only way I'll ever be in this movie is if I get this part. So I went in and auditioned for that. And I basically kind of, I did the scene, but I kind of just started saying just really disgusting, just dirty things into the camera. And I just told them, like, this is what I would say to him if I was in this movie. And then I just (laughs) started saying all this, like, really dirty stuff. Really? Yeah. And then I flashed them, and then I walked out.
0: You flashed the casting director and the And the director and the producer,
1: yeah. Really? It's a little, little show. But it, in character, it was for my work.
0: Right. So on the way to the audition, you make this plan. Do you, like, stop in the bathroom and take off your underwear?
1: Uh, no, I just didn't wear them there.
0: So that means at Parks and you yeah, just changed put, and you were like, this is what no, I'm No, actually,
1: the makeup lady at Parks put makeup on my butt and made sure it looked good and everything. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I flashed them all there and I was like, how does this look? And they were like, What's You tested
0: it? the flashing. Yeah. Uh, see, you're more of a genius than you're letting <laughs> on. Like, you had a whole plan for this. Yeah,
1: I know I had a plan for that. For me, it was like, it's fun to do something crazy, and if it works out, it works out. And if not, I did it, and whatever. And it, and, and it worked out. The director thought it was funny. And I think ultimately, it ended up being kind of important for them to find someone that could make that dynamic work in a way that's not disgusting. Because having a movie about an older grandpa trying to have sex with a college girl and like having the end of the movie being like, He did it, he fucks with the college girl right, and having that be a heartwarming <laughs> like- Movie is like everyone's like, yes, no, no, is that no. gonna work? Like, our audience is gonna like that. And so, in my mind, it's like the only way that I see this movie panning out is if my character is like his match and if they're soulmates. And I really honestly, and know it sounds really dramatic, but I turned it into a love story for me, and it was not like that on the page. On the page, it's very kind of surface level, like. You know, my character's like wants to have sex with a professor, she thinks he's a professor. Right. And so he's like kinda playing into that and I'm like, I'm gonna have sex with you and he's like, I'm gonna have sex with you and then they have sex. But like in my mind it was it was like, No, this is like a love like we're soulmates.
0: Well, it's very smart, like to make them equals and then it becomes it's it's not a creepy thing anymore. It's just this is who this woman really is. If anything, you
1: feel bad for him. Right.
0: But, you know, you, well, you you make a good point, which is that, you know, almost making those decisions probably made it easier in some way to work with him as well, right? Because then your whole goal is not to act with Robert De Niro. It's to, you know, almost meet him as this character. And
1: I did, yeah. I mean, we met very, very briefly at a table read a couple of weeks before we shot the movie. Didn't really talk much. Just met quickly, And then the next time I see him is minutes before the cameras are rolling and we're shooting the first scene, which is where we meet each other in character. And at that point, I'm in a wig. I'm super tan. I look not like myself at all. And I'm like in character. And he rolls up. You know, he's not like the kind of guy that I mean, I don't know how he is on other sets, but on our set, he you know, he shows up when we're about to roll and he's he's in it and I was in it and so I'm only interacting with him as a lunatic and I think for the first half of the film he was legitimately scared of me I think he which I had heard from my agent who had heard from his agent or the director's agent that he was scared of me because I was just coming at him really hard just really just
0: all over him that's something on your resume (laughs) to scare the guy that made Taxi Driver right like
1: I mean, I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth. So this that's just like what I heard from people that... And the director, I think, was also legitimately afraid of me for most of the film. And then after a couple, you know, most of the scenes were shot and we... Bob, I get to call him Bob now. hes um, He's a really sweet guy and he was never... It's a very tricky dynamic to be, you know, having to, like, do a sex scene and having to be, like, making out sure. and all this stuff with someone that's, like, so much older than you, and it's it could get gross, you know? And in mm. my head, I was like, I hope it's not. I don't know if it will be, and it wasn't at all. He was so not like that. But um, there was, like, a funny kind of thing where we had, like, a brunch. He invited everyone over to his hotel room to have brunch, and we all showed up, and um, and I'm not in a wig, and I'm just—I look like myself, and I'm not telling him I'm gonna like do dirty stuff to him, and I'm just like eating an omelet. And he was just like—I felt like he had a moment where he was like, "Oh, you're just—you're harmless." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I'm just."
0: Oh my god, but that's yeah. amazing. And then it
1: was good, and then and then when we did our like eight-hour sex scene, that was an entire day of just like insanity. It was. It was a. It was better, it felt more comfortable. I think he didn't feel like I was like a psychopath. I was, right. you know, molest him. Or oh time. my
0: God. Does having that wig on and the makeup and the, t- the fake tan and all that, is that sort of uh, also a way to just uh, kind of some armor? Like when you're that person, you, you get to do things that you can never do. Like yeah. wouldn't it be harder to play that character if you were just the character just look like you?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I love um, like physicalizing characters, any character that I'm doing, even if it's like someone that looks like me. Like I still really, li- I love kind of paying attention to exactly like what their hair is like and exactly like what they physically, I don't know, look like. And it, do- it helps me separate
0: things right.
1: for sure. Like I like that part of it.
0: Paying attention to little details like that, it does it does give you an idea of who the character is, right? If someone wears their yeah. hair a certain way, and you know the reason behind it.
1: No, I know. I'm so into that stuff, probably annoyingly so. Like I down to like what nail color my nails are, and some people are like, you're never gonna see the nails on camera. That's not gonna change. But for me, it's like I need. I like to right have every, you know, even just down to like my hygiene.
0: Right, right. So if you're playing a so character. I'm a, a dirty little you,
1: bitch. <laughs> i just kidding. I don't know why I just said
0: that <laughs> phrase. You, you, you mentioned, like, but being dirty a few times. Like, I, you know.
1: I've never said that word in my life.
0: Yeah, jean shorts and, and a dirty shirt for your oh, audition. Well, and now you're. Um, you know I'm, what I mean. I'm glad because you look really clean right now.
1: Ugh, I'm so clean. It's
0: disgusting. Yeah. Um well, listen. You're sort of an enigma, and you've remained an enigma here because, as much as as much as you sort of have described what's going on inside and what's going on outside, you still manage to sort of keep that mystery in your acting. That I, I don't know. It's really watchable, and even. Even the awkward stuff that you think is like bombing on a talk show, I find, I, I just find you really interesting, like, I don't know what's gonna happen next, and I think you bring that to your mind. Yeah, roles. what's gonna
1: happen next?
0: Well, next we we're gonna know. do a photo shoot.
1: Oh, fuck, all right, <laughs> gonna roll around on the ground.
0: Yeah, in a catsuit. God. Thank you for doing this, I appreciate it. Yeah. How would you rate this compared to like, the Ellen appearance?
1: I think it feels great in here.
0: Good, I like that. Yeah. I think the white is soothing.
1: Yeah, no, I feel really like Zen.
0: I think Nate makes people feel people feel comfortable. Who's Nate? That's Nate. Oh hey Nate. Nathan. Oh right. With the new pants. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. You're doing this is great what you're doing. Oh
0: thank you. It looks great. Thank you. Hey folks, you've reached the end of another episode of Off Camera. I hope you're liking the show. And remember, if you want to get the full off-camera experience, go to offcamera.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Off Camera Show, or me, at Sam Jones. And if you want to get really personal, send me an email, sam at offcamera.com. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, go to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, take a minute on iTunes and give us a rating. Anything above four stars is acceptable. See you next time Off Camera.